This morning, the Supreme Court of the United States rejected President Donald Trump's plan to repeal the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program. The Obama-era rule protected people who came to the United States as children from deportation. While it didn't create a path to citizenship, it granted dreamers the right to work. In the 5-4 majority decision, Chief Justice John Roberts wrote that the plan to cancel the program was, quote, arbitrary and not justified. For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. Kate Morrissey, you're the immigration reporter for the Union-Tribune, and you've covered the subject throughout the Trump presidency. Let's get people up to speed. What exactly is DACA, and what was it meant to solve? So DACA is a program that people who meet certain criteria can apply for in order to uh, defer their deportation. So uh, they have to have come to the United States when they were children. There's a certain age range. There's also a certain uh, year range. So um, it's between, between a certain set of years that they, that they came uh, they have to show that they uh, meet criteria in terms of like no uh, no criminal history and, and things of that nature. Uh, and they're able to apply for this sort of temporary permission to work and to not be deported. So it doesn't um, give them any uh, path to a green card or citizenship or anything like that. It's a It's a temporary permit that must be renewed every couple of years. Um, And it was something that came out sort of as uh, the Obama administration was looking to try to do something more comprehensive with immigration and finding uh, sort of blocks on, in the congressional side of things in, in being able to do that. And so what we saw was this um, executive action saying, you know what, we have uh, prosecutorial discretion. We want to go after, uh, you know, people with certain criminal histories for deportation. We do not want to put resources into deporting these folks. So we're going to proactively uh, create this program to, to do that. Mm-hmm. So this has been a piece of kind of the tapestry of immigration laws that have changed quite a bit in the Trump era. So you've been speaking to Dreamers, the people who've received uh, the DACA status. What are they saying today after the ruling from the Supreme Court? So uh, we actually have one of the plaintiffs from one of the cases that the Supreme Court was basing their decision on. She lives here in the San Diego area. She's actually an immigration attorney. and so I spoke with her and, and several other folks uh, from around the region, and they are really happy to have the decision. Um, the, the level of celebration sort of varies a bit. Some, some were very, very excited and, and, you know, calling it a big victory. Um, other folks were saying, you know, it's, it's a small victory in the midst of uh, a much bigger uh, struggle. Uh, with a lot of of different parts to that struggle. Um, And so, you know, all of them are, are, regardless of sort of how much they're celebrating today, um, are determined to keep trying to push forward, keep trying to convince uh, politicians that they deserve a more permanent 
uh, way to be here in the United States. Um, they don't want to be in this sort of always temporary, always renewing a limbo status um, kind of situation, uh, especially given that the Supreme Court decision was not ruling on whether or not DACA itself is legal, but was rather ruling on the way in which the Trump administration decided to end it. And so the ruling leaves open the possibility that the administration could try to end it again following the rules that the Supreme Court said it did not follow. And so, you know, DACA recipients are saying, well, we can we can take a breath. We, you know, we feel safer than we did yesterday, but there's still a long way to go to actually feel um, like we are fully, you know, fully at the rights that we feel we should have. Yeah, this seems to be the theme when it comes to kind of the Trump strategy on immigration. It's like they go with something that's kind of broad and extreme. The courts say you can't do that. And then they kind of whittle it down to something that still achieves kind of the end goal of reducing immigration one way or the other. But it's kind of this court, Trump, court, Trump kind of weird tennis game that we've been playing for the past several years. There's there's definitely been, you know, a lot of that and and. You know, the other thing that I would say I'm really hearing from DACA recipients today as they talk about this issue is also, you know, to not forget their parents, to not forget their friends, their neighbors, others in the community who do not have status that allows them to be in this country. Um, and they want a solution that would be acceptable for everyone. Um, one of the things that we've heard a lot from from President Donald Trump is that he wanted to use the ending of DACA as a sort of way to bargain with members of Congress to say, well, you want a solution for these folks, you're going to have to let me do more enforcement on other groups. And the DACA recipients have been very vocal that they are not willing to sacrifice others in that community in order to get more protection. Mm-hmm. And also here in San Diego, uh, how many Dreamers live in the region? Do you know? So I want to say it's about 40,000. I need to double check <laughs> myself on that, but I want to say that it's somewhere in that in that region. I believe when you're looking nationwide in terms of people who've been in the program, it's around 800,000. Um, but there are more who could be eligible, especially now that this decision has come out because when um, the Trump administration ended the program, the, um, the ability to apply for it for the first time ended. And you have to be a certain age before you can apply. And so, you know, for somebody who was waiting for their birthday to be able to apply for the first time to DACA when it was, when it was rescinded, they lost the ability to do that. And even though we've had these ongoing court cases that have allowed the program to continue, it only continued for people who already had it. They were able to continue renewing their permits, but it did not allow anyone to um, apply for the first time. And so what we've heard from the California attorney general this morning, who uh, was one of, one of the, the sort of, major players in in these lawsuits um, is that 
because of this decision, there should be a way now for people to apply for the first time. But he was um, sort of cautioning folks in the community to wait a little bit um, on that to see how the process gets restarted. Um, he was worried that there might be uh, people out there sort of making promises like, oh, if you give me $1,000, I can get you your DACA tomorrow kind of thing. Um, and he was saying, you know, just to be cautious about who, who you trust and who you give your money to um, if you are someone in that situation, because um, we, we definitely have heard, you know, about uh, folks who take sort of a predatory stance on on people in these kinds of difficult situations and, and make big promises before like that don't really fully um, follow with what the process is currently at. Mm-hmm. And certainly in San Diego, being so close to the border, people that are in that kind of situation of too young to apply for DACA, I imagine have been living under a degree of fear of just like things could go poorly and I can get deported just because of time and place. Yeah, we definitely over the past several years have heard from uh, from people who would have been able to get DACA and and were not, who have decided to step forward and share their stories. I remember a young woman um, speaking at several rallies who uh, is now a college student or was a college student, had just become a college student at that time, um, and talking about how much easier it would have been for her if she had DACA, because then she would have been allowed to work to help, you know, sustain herself through her education. And, and she was, um, you know, frustrated that, that that was not the case. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we only got this news earlier this morning, but um, do you have any uh, guesses or sources kind of suggesting what the next move of the Trump administration is going to be? I do not know uh, what the next move from the Trump administration is going to be. I have seen some statements coming from, you know, folks in the uh, Department of Homeland Security, uh, folks in the Department of Justice sort of saying uh, they don't think this decision was correct. Um, And so I, I expect that we will we will see something come come out of this on the Trump administration side. Uh, But I think it's too soon to say exactly what that's going to look like. Mm -hmm. And also in your several years of covering this subject, as it has been, in a sense, the one of the biggest issues of the Trump presidency. What do you think about being in San Diego with our unique relationship with Tijuana? How does that inform kind of the national discussion on immigration? Because we live in just a, a unique place, and I think that gives us a different perspective compared to what you hear out of Washington or media outlets on the East Coast. What do you think that people need to understand about the reality of a cross-border existence? So, if we're if we're tying this in with with today's news, I guess because that's a, I mean, I could answer that question for a couple of hours, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I hear a lot from from dreamers and DACA recipients here who talk about, you know, living in sort of the shadow of, of the border and, and the enforcement that comes with that. So uh, within a hundred miles of the border, um, border patrol and, and, and border officials have um, sort of an increased power in terms of, of 
the kinds of enforcement that they're allowed to do, the kinds of stops that they're allowed to make. Um, and so, you know, you, you hear from people who live in a very specific kind of fear because we are so close to the border. Um, you think about the checkpoints that sort of mark that, that distance from the border um, and people who, who have to think about whether or not they're going to drive past them. Um, I know uh, there was a story that I think that came out of Voice of San Diego a few weeks ago about, you know, concerns about being able to get to the hospital during the pandemic because the checkpoint was in operation up in North County. Um, you know, and so so those kinds of lived experiences are are specific to the border region. Um, you know, I think too about about people who have family on both sides. Um, a few years ago, I actually went with a DACA recipient um, as she was visiting Mexico for the first time since leaving it as as a young girl. Um, and I spent you know a little bit of her trip with her and actually did the return part of the trip with her. Um, and that was through sort of an additional special program that that exists called advanced parole where somebody can, um, somebody who, who wouldn't normally have authorization to be able to leave the U.S. and come back to it can apply for special permission either, you know, because of, of uh, a work reason or, you know, maybe there's a, a family member who uh, is dying and, and they want to go see them. And in her case, it was a work situation. Um, and so uh, to see what her experience was of being able to see relatives that she hadn't seen in a long time, um, was, uh, you know, that was, a I think something that we probably see more here than, than folks in other parts of the country might be exposed to or might, might experience. Um, and so, you know, I think, I think there's a lot of ways in which we are, you know, particularly situated. I mean, you know, the fact that, that one of the, the plaintiffs, in, in the Supreme Court cases here in San Diego, um, the fact that we have, you know, a lot of organizing work being done, particularly on this issue. There's a group called San Diego Border Dreamers that grew out of uh, concerns over DACA being taken away, that has done a lot of organizing work and take, taken many trips to Washington, D.C. to try and talk to members of Congress and, and get people to understand what their experiences have been like. Um, and so, you know, we see a lot of that coming out of San Diego. Um, I would say more generally, we have also seen uh, the Trump administration in, in many instances decide to start pilot programs with new kinds of immigration and border enforcement here in San Diego. So we've also oftentimes been the first witnesses of, of those changes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's certainly interesting how our position kind of puts us at the cutting edge of this issue that is complicated. And it's a reason why we don't have comprehensive immigration reform. It's so complicated that we're kind of stuck in these uh, incremental changes that are somewhat confusing, honestly. All right. Kate Morrissey, thank you so much. Thanks. In other news, San Diego County has hit one of three COVID-19 triggers that require public health officials to re-examine and likely modify the state of businesses and activities currently allowed. The county's press office said in an email Thursday morning that eight community outbreaks occurred in the seven-day period from Thursday, June 11th, through Wednesday, June 17th. 
Community outbreaks, clusters of cases that occur outside of congregate living facilities, are one of three immediate red flags that require Dr. Wilma Wooten, the county's public health officer, to consider modifying her existing public health order. The threshold that the county set for community outbreaks, which can be a sign that coronavirus is beginning to spread more rapidly in the community, is seven or more new outbreaks detected within any seven-day period. According to the county, three outbreaks occurred on June 11th, three more on June 16th, and a grouping of two appeared Wednesday. A total of 417 cases and six deaths were attributed to the 39 community outbreaks, according to the county's data. Of those, 16 were active as of Wednesday, while the others had been closed after two weeks without any more positive tests. The information offers a glimpse at how the novel coronavirus has been spreading, but it does not include data for individual cases or outbreaks at the case level. Thank you for listening to the San Diego News Fix. If you're curious about how Greater San Diego is working toward building a new future after the pandemic and protests, listen to the UT's Luis Cruz on Together San Diego. Every weekday afternoon, join in on conversations with activists, nonprofits, and companies who are finding out ways this moment can change San Diego for the better. Listen in on Facebook. For a guide to all of our live streaming programming, check out the schedule on uniontrip.com. Until next time.